Welcome to Flipped, the Irish animation podcast. Hi, I'm Megan. Hi, I'm Aidan. Uh, welcome along to episode seven of uh, the Flipped Animation Podcast. Um, we just wanted to again, as usual, thank everybody for uh, sharing and liking and tweeting about the, the podcast and helping it grow. We, we really appreciate it. And this episode is with Dara O'Connell. Um, he is founder of Brownback Films along with Cahill Gaffney. He's also the creative director. Um, he has executive produced TV shows such as Wobbly Land, Naughty and Toyland, Doc McStuffins and The Henry Huggle Monster Show. In addition to that, he's also produced two shorts, Give Up Your Own Sins and Granny O'Grim, both of which uh, went on to be nominated for the Academy Award. Uh, his most recent short film, he directed and wrote, it was called 23 Degrees 5 Minutes, it was voiced by John Hurt and also received an IFTA nomination. So, um, yeah, he's a, he's a cool guy. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Um, enjoy the interview. Well, I suppose first I was looking at this amazing picture of yourself and Cahill um, and uh, I was just wondering is that when you set up the company or is that college years or what's the crack with that? Um, you know that's actually what <laughs> we're such white Irish guys we're actually <laughs> comparing our, our, our wrist tan lines there from our watches. Oh, Cahill was just back from Morocco I think I was just back from Tenerife or something it was after we'd finished PEG and we okay. met up, we decided we needed time away, and we went off on separate holidays, and then we met up in the airport on the way back and we compared our <laughs> useless tans. But, That's uh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so PEG was the first thing that you guys started on? Yeah, because we, first of all, well, PEG was way back when, and it's um, almost 20 years ago, you know, right. so it's, uh, we, want, we wanted to make a short film about PEG. And myself and Carl both really wanted to be able to speak Irish and we kind of blamed the educational system for the fact that we couldn't speak Irish mm -hmm. and PEG being kind of symbolic of that. Yeah. So I remember I, I went into Kerry to spend, uh, you know, getting into the getting into the mood of the Ooh, blaskets yeah. in the area. And I, I had to write all the scripts for PEG. So uh, I read the book again in, in English, it has to right. be said. <laughs> and I found myself kind of just admiring Peg a little bit more okay. and seeing, you know, like there was a decent storytelling woman there. It's just the way the book was taught in school tended right. to drive everybody crazy. So we, we yeah. kind of, we, we kind of liked her a little bit more then. We, we, um, but the whole thing was, yeah, it started out as a short and then we, we brought it to RT. At the time when we started out, there was no Irish film board. Mm -hmm. There was no, uh, I mean, animation wasn't really recognized by anybody as anything. It was yeah. just this big uh, Hollywood company uh, making big movies. And there wasn't any sort of, um, you know, uh, an animation industry. So mm -hmm. we approached RTE to make a short film and they said, look, we don't fund short films. Right, We really like the idea. Would you be interested in making a TV series? So yeah. we were like, wow, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to run off and kind of try and write scripts for it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we didn't even have a company name at the time. It sort of, it sort of predates Brown Bag. It's when we had to sign the actual contract with RTE. Mm -hmm. That's when they said, uh, look, uh, you have to be a limited company. And we were there. Uh, what's a what's company? So <laughs> yeah. we had to go and come up with a company name, sort it all out. Yeah. And it happened that my seven call, we, we went through, it's like naming a band, it's like naming anything. You, you go on for ages and ages, and eventually you find a name, and I think you become the name rather than the name being the perfect fit. Right. But one of our lecturers in college was Steve Woods, who's mm -hmm. still teaching out in Dunleary now. And Steve had left his tatty old brown leather satchel on the table and 
I remember I pointed and it went, brown bag. And Carl went, yes, that's it. And it was great. <laughs> we decided on brown bag. And the very next day, we, our accountant found out we called the company brown bag. And he went mad because that's obviously where you stash all the uh, unreceded money into oh. your brown bag. Under the <laughs> so it, and it's got lots of different meanings. We found out brown bag had, is... is there's a brown bag movie series that they have in the US and it's where people at lunch bring their lunch in a brown bag and they sit down and watch movies and yeah, so clever the way you named it after that and I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> that was totally what we intended. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, so when, I think I was saying it to you before, um, when you began, like there was so little help, I suppose, and I was just wondering, like, did that mean that you had to just like basically teach yourselves everything from the ground up or was there anybody that you could count as a mentor in that way apart from you know Steve Woods and yeah well there was not much of an industry there at the time and you know the Irish Film Board came out it was reinstated just the year myself and Carl started with PEG um, but at the beginning of the Irish Film Board they didn't even recognize animation Right. They, they said animation is not real filmmaking at all, you know, mm-hmm. so they wouldn't even, they wouldn't, even. They, they wouldn't read scripts from us or anything. So we had to, um, yeah, we had to do everything ourselves. There was like, there was people out there doing work like Jimmy Murakami was a oh, great yeah. help at the beginning. Aidan Hickey was always a gentleman mm-hmm. and would help us out. Steve Woods was a good mentor. Um, but we had to learn a lot of stuff ourselves and we used to yeah. go down to Don Bluth's studio and actually there was people there like Russell Boland who later on set up Terryglyph. And he, he actually shot all of PEG for us on the 35mm cameras down in Blue Studios and did us a really good price and looked after us. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of help out there. I think people were really glad to see that what, what we were doing and trying to, trying to make our own thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, even then, it was very hard to get any kind of awareness for you know, what we were doing. And we thought we'd make PEG and it would go out on TV and then we could just sit back and Hollywood would be called. <laughs> but yeah, you soon realize that, you know, it's very hard. It's one thing making your, your, your work, but then it's getting it seen by an audience yeah. is just as tough, you know, and you right. really have to get behind it and get it out there. And there was no social media or anything at the time. So it's difficult and we've learned better ways over the years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I suppose there are better ways as well. Um, there are. Well, I mean, I, I think first and foremost, you have to concentrate on the quality and just hope the mm-hmm. word of mouth will get it out there and people will say, hey, did you see this thing? Did you see that thing? And, yeah. you know, that's still to this day is the best way. Yeah. And uh, just the um, ha- having your own original scripts and your own original content, that, that seems to have been something that yourself and Cahill always wanted to do. You know, you made Peg, that was something that you wanted to do. And throughout, do you think that, you know, only doing things that you really believed in that that was um a strength of the company or you know did it ever cause you difficulties when money was tight or well now i have to say the the fact that we only do stuff we really really believe in is more of a luxury we can afford nowadays okay yeah yeah <laughs> back at the beginning we would have done anything <laughs> yeah. i mean you, you kind of have to to keep the doors open we yeah. would have worked on a lot of advertising yeah we always said we would never ever do a boys own video you know if they ever no matter how much they offered us and they never did offer us. <laughs> so it saved you there. We had some standards. But, you know, we, um, we worked a lot in advertising. We worked doing, you know, uh, videos for corporate videos, things like that, uh, mm-hmm. animation for corporate videos. I mean, really, we had to do anything to keep the doors open. So at the start, 
it, you couldn't afford to be that, I guess, that contrary. But at the same time, we had very little overhead. Mm -hmm. You know, for the first few years at Brown Bag, my summer cobble didn't even get paid. Right. We, I remember my, one of my first goals when we started Brown Bag was just to be able to get a wage for mm -hmm. what I did by the time I was 30. Right. And I think I was getting paid by the time I was around 24 or something like that. So I was way ahead of schedule. Yeah, you know? absolutely. <laughs> Wasn't getting paid a whole lot, but still it helped. Uh, so yeah, nowadays we really, really have to love a project mm -hmm. in order to do it. But that's because you're going to spend so long on it. You could spend a year and a half yeah. and there's lots of other things you can't do because you've committed to this project. So you have to love it. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's something now that definitely is uh, something we try to stay, stand by as much as we can. Yeah. And I suppose things like... Um give up your L sins and uh, even Hoga Monsters like it was uh, the give up your L sins was created by yourself and Cahill and then Hoga Monsters is an Irish creator as well and that's that's pretty huge for Ireland in general yeah and again like, like anything these things all have small beginnings you know mm -hmm. like Cahill first heard uh, I mean you know in terms of creating give up your L sins it was recordings by Peg Cunningham in her classroom in the 50s that were then discovered by Father Brian Darcy they were released by EMI and they became a huge hit even before we ever went yeah. near it. And Cahill was driving to Galway to the Galway Film Festival and he heard it on the radio mm -hmm. and he just immediately fell in love with it and he came back and he said to me, oh, I think we should do this animation and I thought he was mad and I said, nah, who's going to get that? That's a yeah. stupid idea. <laughs> but, you know, he was so passionate about it that yeah. he said, okay, let's do it. You know, yeah. And I think that's something we always try and doing brown bag is to make sure that whatever we do it has to have a really passionate creative hero behind yeah. it and it doesn't have to be me or Cahill it can be Nikki it can be Jenny mm -hmm. it can be Greg in our LA office it can be any one of our directors or any one of the you know if, if somebody really feels strong about an idea and they they're passionate about it then I think you have to sit up and take notice mm -hmm. and you know let them pursue that and the same thing happened with with Huggle Monsters was uh, I mean that was based on a book by Neve Sharkey and it was a pretty small book it hadn't sold that many copies and we had known Neve for we had known her for some time because she was a friend of Cobble's sister but I had tried to make a Frameworks movie with her years earlier yeah and um, and I just loved her stuff we were actually going to do a story based on I don't know if you remember the old legend of Larry Longears the king who never gets his hair cut <laughs> until. Uh, or sorry, he used to get his hair cut every year by a barber and then the barber was immediately executed. Oh, I think we made the story a little bit softer. Yeah. And the reason being that when they cut his hair, they find out he's got donkey's ears and the secret can never get out. And uh, to this day, I can't remember now how it ends. But <laughs> <laughs> it Possibly badly. Yeah, no, actually, yeah, for an Irish fairy tale, tale, I think it ends okay. Oh, okay. Most of them tend to end with everybody dead. Yeah. And uh, one person who's now old telling the story. But... Uh, so we always really liked Neve's work and, you know, so we, we optioned Huggle Monsters and even then it was a long period. I mean, it was at least after we first spoke to Neve, it might have been three years before we sold it to Disney and then another year before we started production, mm -hmm. production and then another year and a half before the first season is out there. So it's a really long process for any yeah. of this stuff, which is why I think, yeah, you have to love it. You have to be passionate about it and you have to have a lot of pokers in the fire as well because... Mm -hmm. We spent so much time on other projects that we love and spend years on them and they'd never get made for one reason or another. And yeah. So you have to have a lot, a lot of spinning plates at any yeah. one time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I suppose with uh, Brown Bag kind of growing all the way through and obviously the, the Oscars and everything like that, did you notice a, a huge increase 
like kind of all of a sudden or was it just a gradual you know people started to hear about brown bag more after even the first uh academy awards nomination yeah, yeah i think it's always been gradual yeah. i sometimes wonder you know somebody had the sense to take me and call out of the equation it might have gone a bit faster <laughs> you know? i mean we we tend to be pretty conservative you know in terms of you know not not taking out big loans and borrowing stuff I mean, we've always reinvested any money we make back into the company and mm -hmm. build it up slowly uh we, we be, mostly because it's not because we're great business guys or anything, but just because we wanted to retain control and wanted to be able to be masters of our own destiny and make our own mm -hmm. choices. So the best way to do that was not be beholden to anybody, really, yeah. and not to have big uh, debts that then you need to cover all the time. So we managed to build it up, yeah, slowly. And um, it's, it's, like I said earlier, the way, you know, when we first put Peg out, we thought the phones would be hopping, the work would be pouring in. And it just never really happens like that. Even mm -hmm. after our first Oscar nomination, um, I think we were we were sensible enough to kind of keep our feet on the ground mm. and realize that you know what this is fantastic, it's great fun and it's brilliant. Yeah. But you know, let's not lose the run of ourselves. Yeah. I mean, it's only a five-minute film. Yeah. This doesn't mean you can suddenly make these big live-action movies or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a lottery, you know. I mean, like the, the any kind of prizes or awards for art from the Oscars to the IFTAs or even getting a frameworks from the film board yeah. in many ways it's a lottery and you're up against similarly brilliant ideas and brilliant films mm -hmm. so to have to choose one of them is tough yeah. and you know getting to the last five getting nominated for an Oscar is fantastic and you know it is great but you can't get carried away I mean you have to realize that it's look it's a nice calling card but that's all it is you still have to work as hard as ever you have to keep knocking on doors as hard as ever. Mm -hmm. And I think that first time we went out with Give Up Your All Sins for the Oscars, like we had a blast, we had great fun, and we met lots of people, but we weren't really prepared from a work point of view. So when it happened the second time with uh, Granny O'Grim, mm -hmm. we did set up better meetings and all that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. we, But even then, we'd meet with studios, and they'd say, so what's the big idea? What's the feature film idea? And we didn't have one. Yeah. So, we were still kind of, well, you, you know, just plug it away, just do the, you know, and, um, but it did, it did make us realize that, look, if we wanted to get into Hollywood and get working closer with Disney and all those mm -hmm. guys, we really had to have a presence in Los Angeles. Yeah. And we set up our LA office at that time. Mm -hmm. And again, it's, it's all been a gradual push yeah. at cutting, getting deeper and deeper into the industry. And our goal with the LA office was to become as well known in Hollywood as we are in Europe. Mm -hmm. And that was like, that was about three years ago. And I think yeah. it's working pretty well now. And yeah. we, we can knock on most doors and they know who we are. Um, so yeah, I think it, it has been gradual and it has been, you know, it's been organic kind mm -hmm. of growth and there have been little leaps and bounds along the way but one thing about yeah the Oscars it's not like people come knocking on your door but it means mm -hmm. when you knock on other people's doors they know who you are and they will yeah. take the meeting and it's really good yeah and probably the biggest thing after give up your old sins it put us in touch with them or just gives people a little more confidence and when we were talking to the people that we eventually did Olivia with mm -hmm. Uh, Di Manson and her company at the time they were bought out then by Corian yeah. who produced uh, Olivia but it just gives them a little bit of confidence that okay you know yeah. sure, your stuff was recognised your stuff is recognised mm -hmm. we know you can tell a good story yeah. and then it's up to you to impress upon them and spoof your way through <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> to getting more and bigger jobs out of that. Yeah. But it's like anything. It's like if you're, you know, if you're passionate about it and you can talk to talk, people will, they will give you a chance mm. as long as you harass them for long enough. Yeah. <laughs> and from, because yourself and Cahal are so creative and, and came from that creative background, did you find, like, is there any advice that you might give to some startups today that you'd say, okay, if you're a creative person, maybe this would be a good approach to business or was that really a bigger question? Um, so giving advice is always so hard because I think any two companies or any two people, everybody's so different. Mm -hmm. And you know, like what well, I can say, what worked for us, and maybe it works for other people. But I would just say, be patient and be persistent, and mm -hmm. you know, don't give up, and you know, don't put all your eggs in the one basket, and you know, just keep going at it. I mean, yeah. if you if you really love what you do then you should be patient and you should just enjoy it and you know and I think if you show that you enjoy your work and you create great work well then you know money will follow yeah and the jobs will follow it's you have to have I think you have to have the passion and you have to just take the knocks keep yeah. on getting up you know yeah and uh, and and you know and again you can only do that if you're not up to your ears in debt and if you have low overheads and especially starting out mm -hmm and you know don't be too greedy and yeah you'll be fine in a few years if you're still there yeah. you're still there in a few years you'll be grand <laughs> yeah. and, and i think it's like i remember talking to other studios like paul young and cartoon saloon and mm -hmm. they're saying about going out to nip and cockle used to go out to this it's this big market in Cannes every mm -hmm. year and there's like ten thousand television professionals and it's really intimidating mm -hmm. and you go in and like, i never had the courage to go so Paul <laughs> used to go and uh i used to say oh no i'm the creative one i have to stay back here and do all the work but it just the reality is I was just too terrified to go and so I remember talking to Paul about it and he said you know you go down there and, and after going a few years people think oh well, they're still around they must be worth talking to mm. you know and if you just if you're expecting to get everything done the first time it won't happen yeah. I think people like to see you know you coming back again and again and again and it just shows a bit of stability and yeah. then they'll give it a bigger go you know okay that's, that's great advice um, so just going back to the LA office then and, and talking about um, Ice House, which obviously is completely separate to Brownback Films. Um, is there an Ice House uh, place in LA as well? or? Yeah, well, we have the office in LA, which is, okay. uh, and it's run by Greg, uh, Greg Little as well. But okay. the whole idea with Ice House, it's just, we're calling it, you know, entertainment for grown-ups. Mm -hmm. And it's just, we're working with separate creators and separate mm -hmm. teams. Um, working with a lot of writers and designers out of the US but our first show is a, is a show called Newsbag and that was created by Jared Barrett who did uh, Pilgrim Hill and uh, it's being directed by Morris Joyce who Morris worked on Beavis and Butthead and King of the Hill and all that kind of stuff and it's uh, the, it's been all being designed by a guy called Bren Russell who Bren did this great website years ago called Eyebrowy and it was always you know taking the make out of Bono and Bob Dylan and all these musicians <laughs> and it was great and Bren is I love Bren because he he hasn't been to animation college so right. he's picked up he he hasn't picked up any habits he's just got just a really just fast way of animating that just ignores all the rules of animation nice so any classical animators will hate brand stuff you know? <laughs> but i think it's great because it's, it's just a <laughs> i love brand stuff i just think it looks very different and very fresh and jared has really done well he's got a group of irish writers will collins and marino lachlan and stephen shields just to create great stories now it's you know it's very adult stuff and it's a completely yeah. different market to brown bag but yeah. um, it's going to be going out on tv3 yeah. in October so October fantastic so yeah. we'll, we'll watch out for Ice House in the future then 
completely different to brown bag stuff completely different brilliant Uh, another thing that I wanted to talk to you about um, kind of brown bag moving into a new era um, was brown bag digital as well the whole thing about brown bag digital and the whole industry is changing Mm -hmm. the whole way of reaching an audience is changing and you know we learned a lot we did a pro uh, uh, project a couple of years ago and we worked very closely with valve mm-hmm. the computer game makers and we were working on a short film and it was, or, uh, was working on a movie mm-hmm. it's being directed by shane acker called deep and valve had always said like they don't want to go near the movie industry or anything like mm-hmm. that because they were appalled at how distant all of those people were from their audience mm. and when it comes to digital and it comes to games and you know uh, even people telling stories online, you're right there with your audience. I mean, they can comment straight away and they can get to you straight away and you can interact with them immediately and you mm-hmm. can see how long they were there and what they clicked on and what they like and what they don't like. And I think TV is changing more and more in that direction now, and especially with things like Netflix and mm-hmm. Amazon and Hulu and all those kind of programs or uh, platforms. And you know, it's, it's, they're able to track audiences in ways that TV never could. So you can really, really get close to the audience. And I think that's the idea of Brown Bag Digital is just finding a way to, you know, even test things very early on and see if people like ideas or like things and get feedback. And mm-hmm. so it's something that, you know, it is going to be launched soon enough. And we have um, Anahita in here, Anahita Tabarsi and, and David Mabry working on that. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be launched pretty soon okay um yeah i i kind of i i love the fact that i I think the spirit of what you started with from from the sound of from everything that i've read has kind of retained you know a little a a spot in here like there's a very there's a very warm atmosphere in brown bag i think from working here um and i was just kind of wondering like you know how, how did so you, you do you that? You have to caveat this interview to start that you work in. That I work here, yeah. Absolutely, it's in my contract. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, is there? Was it a conscious effort always to kind of keep that spirit, or is it just because maybe you guys are so passionate about what you do that that just attracts like-minded people? Well, you know, I I think you do have to be really careful about retaining the kind of culture of the company. Mm-hmm. And we went through, because we, we started off with just like, you know, five people and then 10 people and then 20 people. And mm-hmm. it grew like all the time. But when we went beyond 50 people, and by the, by the end of this year, we're going to be like 150. It's, it's just things changed in ways that we didn't anticipate. Mm-hmm. And Cahill had done a lot of business training and stuff like that. And people were saying, oh, going from 50 to 100 is really hard. And we were going, yeah, whatever. We're animators. <laughs> we're artists. It's going to be fine. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't fine because we suddenly realized, well, it's, you know, you have to develop systems of you can't just pass each other in the corridor and swap information anymore, yeah. which is the way it used to work. And mm. it was a little bit cottage industry, like you could have a board up on the wall and that's fine. That's what all everybody needs to know. But when you get into a certain size, just communication really becomes a problem. And, you know, people can start developing their own habits and ways of doing things. Um, you know, you can a little bit of politics can creep in. All sorts mm-hmm. of things can happen, and and so I think myself and Carl really had to work hard on on actually taking it seriously and going. Okay, we really need to maintain the culture here. Mm-hmm. And even when like we we we're now in two offices. We have one um, our block F office, and we're down here right now in in what we're calling the crash mm-hmm. office. 
And so we even made a decision that Cahill would be up there and I'd be down here because we wanted one person in each building to try and maintain the company culture. You know? yeah. So it is super important to us. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if we, if we you know, super consciously try and manipulate what everybody's <laughs> feeling or anything, but we yeah. do try and make sure yeah, people are enjoying what they do and, and there's a creative atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Uh, because, you know, again, I think it's something that comes through in the work if mm -hmm. people are more relaxed doing it. And, you know, when I say relaxed, I mean, people work their butts off in mm -hmm. here. I mean, they work very, very hard in late nights, and as you well know. <laughs> and it's, you know, so you want people to have a good atmosphere because mm -hmm. they need to look forward to coming into work as well, I think. You know, mm -hmm. it's a, yeah. It's important. Cool. Um, well, I was um, when I was looking up your IMDb page. I don't know if you know what it looks like, but um, you you I love really it every day, every single day, every day, three times a day. <laughs> I check it. <laughs> um, but you you've really worn a lot of hats over the years. Uh, producer, writer. You've even done a voice uh, according to IMDb. I don't know if that's actually true or not. <laughs> I don't know. I know you tend to you know look when you're a small studio, you tend to figure out every part mm -hmm. of the process and dip in and dip out. Yeah. And, you know, look, I love directing, but, you know, the, chance, the the fact is I just don't have the same amount of time as I used to have. Yeah. And you're across so many different projects mm -hmm. that it's really nice when you do get a project and you can just focus on it. Yeah. It's it's great to do, but, yeah, yeah it is tough. And it's, it's, I mean, probably I'm most credited now being an executive producer. And, mm -hmm. you know, what does that mean? Executive producer can be anything. It's yeah. the guy who originally found the idea or who created it or who funded it or who financed it and in many ways I think my role as an executive producer is to kind of support the director mm -hmm. and make sure they feel that their vision is being carried out and that they have enough resources beneath them so I can work as a liaison between the producers and the director mm -hmm. um, and to sort of keep the keep the creative spirit going but also to make sure that their their vision is not going to break a budget early on or anything like that as well. So I do work very closely with the creative team yeah. in any production as as opposed to the uh, kind of the more production or businessy end of it. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's probably what I do more now is kind right. of the executive producer part of it. Yeah. And what about twenty three degrees? Um I, I actually watched that for the first time last night for some reason. It had escaped. Um I thought it looked great. Um very quirky little movie. And um, what, where did that come from? Was that an that, original idea of yourself or? No, it came from a writer uh, called uh, Austin Kenny. It was actually a short story that he had written. And uh, funnily enough, uh, there was an Irish uh, songwriter, Shay Healy, mm -hmm. who sent it into Cahill. He knew Cahill and uh, Shay Healy, who wrote What's Another Year for Johnny Logan. Oh, right. Your Vision. Wow. And, uh, and other things. And other things, of course, yes. <laughs> But uh, so Austin was a mate of Shay's. He sent it in, and it was just this really quirky story. And I won't give away the ending mm -hmm. or anything. But it was all about. It just struck me. It was kind of like an adult fairy tale. Right. Yeah. It was all about maths and magic, and mm -hmm. I just really fell in love with an image at the very end of that story. Mm -hmm. The way the original story was written, I don't think it could have worked as a film. Mm -hmm. But then I worked with Austin, and we came. We kind of created a story that's just based around two guys, because. Again, it's the first thing I think you've got to figure out if you're doing anything in CGI is to keep your assets down. <laughs> you know, especially because you don't have a big budget when you're doing a short. But it was a story that I, I, I don't know, just really, really wanted to tell it. And mm -hmm. I didn't, it kind of stayed in my head for a few years before I felt, okay, I'll go for it now and I'll try it. But 
the final film, I mean, I think it looks grand, but I mean, I wasn't, I was never really finished with it. I, I mean, I know people say you never finish a film, mm. you just have to deliver it. But one of the things we used, like we tried to, any short film, do a little bit of research or tech or anything like that. And 23 Degrees was the film where we went from 3D Studio Max into Maya. Okay. And our initial plan was we'll swap over in like two weeks. It took six months. Oh. You know? <laughs> And so there was so much learning going on and, yeah. and unfortunately I think 23 Degrees hit the kind of brunt of that because to me certainly the rigging process was quite primitive mm -hmm. where we were at that time and I would have loved the faces to have a bit more expression but we just couldn't. Mm. Um, we, we experimented with RenderMan, uh, lighting software, rendering software and again that just proved too unwieldy for the team we had at the time and it ended up all getting thrown out at the last minute and we just did the whole thing in, in mental ray. Um, so there was a huge amount of experimenting going on in that mm -hmm. movie that meant a lot of it didn't end up on screen and a lot of time was, I wouldn't say wasted, mm. it was very valuable time for brown bag, it just yeah. didn't really, <laughs> it just wasn't time well spent on my film. <laughs> but uh, no, but it's still, I thoroughly enjoyed it and Austin was very happy with it in the end and, and I, you know I'd love people to see it and it's got a good reaction online and everything and I think it's a nice seasonal tale. Absolutely yeah um, and it was nominated for an IFTA am I correct in saying I that? think it was yeah. Yes I believe it was I think that's what IMDB told me um, <laughs> and then at the same time as you were doing that you were directing Octonauts? Um, well, that, well, yeah, because 23 Degrees was kind of done over a two-year period, so it was like dipping in and out. And right. Most of it was done after mm -hmm. I finished Octonauts. Uh, the first season of Octonauts was pretty much a, yeah all-inclusive kind of gig. Actually, while we were doing Octonauts is when Nikki got nominated for Granny O'Grim. Oh, wow. So that was a huge distraction and everything, a very fun distraction. Yeah. But it was huge because Nikki was the animation director on Octonauts, so I remember we were over in... Hollywood and we're at the Oscars and Nikki has to come into my room and we're going through calls on why Quasi's eyeballs aren't working and stuff like that <laughs> so we had to work the whole time we were there okay yeah which you know which is the reality mm -hmm. it's because uh, I, I think a lot of people can get too swept up in all of that stuff and forget that you do have you do have a day job as well yeah um, so yeah that was that was that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> and then I suppose the final thing that I would like to, um, something that I'm I'm particularly excited about myself is uh, just talk a little bit about Nightglider, um, which is in development at the moment, uh, potentially our first feature here at Brownback. Yeah, well, um, Nightglider is the tale of uh, a squirrel who, he lives amongst tree squirrels and when he's actually a flying squirrel. So when he finds out he can fly, he thinks he's a superhero mm. and it's kind of you know sort of kick-ass meets it's kind of it's kind of you know it is it is like a furry animal movie mm -hmm. and but mixed in with the superhero genre yeah. which is a lot of fun but it's more like it's a little bit of an edge to it as well, well it does. It? i mean it's in more nice like kick-ass in the sense that yeah. they don't actually have powers or anything yeah. they're just pretty deluded yeah. <laughs> but it's fun because there's a trio uh, of uh, uh nestor who's our hero mm -hmm. autumn who's his friend and protector and everything amongst mm -hmm. the, the tree squirrels and then this pretty uh, crazy little guinea pig called Mulch who it believes he's intense. the actual nightlighter superhero yeah. character and then of course through their escapades they bring on the wrath of the owls <laughs> Red Claw and all of his owls and it's look it's really fun I mean it's set within a kind of an urban park a really mm -hmm. small urban park so 
the whole idea of even though a lot of the movie will take place at night, it's going to be lots of neon and mm -hmm. street lights and car lights and window displays, and it's going to be quite brightly lit. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so we're having a huge amount of fun developing that right now. Yeah. So, but it's like anything, you know, you're always waiting on that green light. And yeah. These things can take, you know, they can take a huge amount of time because Night Glider is actually a project that uh, Greg, who runs our LA office, when he first joined. This was a project he brought with him, mm -hmm. and so he started working on it, I think, seven years ago or something wow. like that. Okay. And so Greg just first brought it to us three years ago. We got it into a stage where we could pitch it two years ago, mm -hmm. and we brought it to the cartoon movie in Europe. And, you know, it was pretty quiet. Nobody really got it or were into it. I think they all found mm -hmm. it a little too American or whatever. And, you know, everything went quiet for a year mm -hmm. and then suddenly we got a call from somebody who got the script and they really liked it and mm -hmm. then we got a call from somebody else who saw the script and they really liked it and next thing we know we're on a couple of people bidding against each other for the film mm -hmm. and and so it's so it's like I said I mean there's it's that kind of industry where things can go really quiet for a while and you think it's gone and then suddenly boom there's new interest in it again but we're, we're trying to do it for a really small budget and um, which is which is tough, but I think it's doable considering we can do shows like Peter Rabbit with 52 10-minute episodes mm -hmm. and forests and furry characters and all this kind of thing. We just had to make sure that we constructed a script that um, it, it just doesn't try to do too much for the budget. Yeah. And the script writer is a young guy called Jeremy Ship, and he's fantastic to work with and really, really great at... Um, taking on board notes and comments and mm -hmm. really but doing doing you know like taking a note and then enhancing it and making it even better and great. really really makes the whole process fun you know mm -hmm. and you can work with people like that it's great yeah and yourself and Cahal are, are really behind education reform as a company it's really important to have strong connections with educators mm -hmm. and you know, and he, you know what, I, I think, yeah, like you talking earlier about education reform, I, yeah. I think it goes way back to, I, I think both myself and Colin were really lucky that we were some of those kids that were probably caught drawing in geography class when we were 13, mm. and instead of getting a smack in the head, we were encouraged. Right. And I think that's really important, you know, because I can trace it way back to one of my teachers, Mr. Fallon, mm. who caught me drawing comics in class, mm. and took it off me and he just brought it outside and he goes, oh, he's bringing it down to the headmaster, you're dead. And he comes in with another teacher and the two of them were like, this is great, this is great, keep doing it. So as a result, my geography was shocking bad, but, uh, but my drawing got much better. And but, you know, like getting that kind of encouragement early from, you know, from teachers, it's really important, you know. Mm -hmm. And when we first started, there was no such thing as a career in animation or in art. Yeah. or in drawing or anything like that like the only reason I ended up in animation was I wanted to do comics mm -hmm. and there was just no way of getting into comics in Ireland and now you look at it and there's guys Will Sliney and uh, Nick Roach and Irish comic artists now and it's fantastic to see you know and I think if you're really into your uh, comics now you can you can do it and you can make a living out of it and I think that's important you have to be able to make a living after it yeah. know, out of it and you know, not have mommy and daddy on your back. Yeah. Because they were on my back for yeah. long enough, you know. <laughs> um, and you know, and again, like we were, we were lucky when we when we left college, and um, like myself and Cotton both did work experience in oh, yeah. Southern Blue. Mm -hmm. And I think it kind of we learned two things from that, and one was that you know, 
the whole idea of being part of a massive studio at that time, it wasn't what we wanted to do right. personally. Yeah. I mean, we wanted to kind of get into the telling stories and doing all that stuff. But at the same time, we loved the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And just to see all these grown-ups, you know, making art and getting paid for it. And we just knew that that's what we want to do. Yeah. And, and I suppose in the back of our minds, as we grow brown bag, that's what we, you know, that, and that's the same kind of emotion we'd like to, you know, other people in here to have mm -hmm. is that idea of, you know, you're not really growing up, you're not really <laughs> having to work for a living and you're getting to do what you love and, and, you know, and it is fantastic as well when you get feedback from, you know, people who watch your stuff and who like your stuff and mm -hmm. you're reading great things about it online or are you not so great things about yeah. it online? I just think any kind of feedback is great. It just means people are watching what you do and, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's good. Yeah. It's a good feeling. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I think that that is actually it. Um, thank you so much. That was really enjoyable. Just want to say thanks so much to um, Daryl O'Connell for giving this interview. It was so much fun. Um, and he is a, is a busy man, hard to keep up with. So um, thanks again, Doc. Great. Um, and we also just wanted to give a little shout out to an event that's happening soon in Dublin, the Animation Art Show. Uh, which is happening in the Science Gallery in Dublin on the 2nd and 3rd of November. Um, it's uh, animators and people working in animation uh, all around the country will be uh, making beautiful art and donating it, um, and that art will be auctioned out for the Jack and Jill Children's Foundation and Laurel in House, and um, it's going to be um, a great event, so if you can come along to that, and maybe you might even get on home with a nice piece of, piece of art. Uh, so it's animationartshow.com for all the details there. So definitely enjoy that. Um, and if you want to get in contact with us for any reason, um, you can contact us on Twitter. I'm at the Meg Bar. And I'm at Aidan McAteer. Uh, the Facebook page is facebook.com slash flip podcast. We're uh, flip podcast at gmail.com. And uh, don't forget, you can uh, stream on the website or you can listen on iTunes. And if you uh, are feeling incredibly generous, you can even leave us a review on iTunes. <laughs> Um, well, until next time, over and out. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>